evening, all. Um, I'd like to remind you at the outset um, about the, the two parts that uh, form the title uh, of the series, the evening series that uh, we're undergoing just now. You know, we've called it uh, Knowing God, uh, Knowing Myself. And the point about that, of course, is that, you know, there's a, there's a colon between both of these statements. And that means that we can actually only ever know ourselves properly, know our identity, know what we should be, when, when we in fact come to know God himself first. So it's essential if we want to know about ourselves that we, that we discover and know God. So what I've done tonight, what I've, I've chosen to do is, is deliberately to go to another biblical character. Uh, you remember last week when we were talking about uh, the sovereignty of God, we went to the book of Daniel, we looked at Nebuchadnezzar. Um, we're going to go to another biblical character tonight. And the reason to do that is um, when we go to characters, you see, it's, it's not just to say, oh, well, um, here's how they lived, uh, copy what they did. Um, it's much deeper than that. Here were people who had an experience of God. And we see that experience not just in abstract terms, but in the flesh and blood of their humanity, of the real lives that, that they lived out. We come to know something about their personal experience of knowing God and therefore about knowing themselves. And so we're going to do that tonight. Um, as we already have done, uh, we're going to turn to the book of Job again. And what we're going to be considering, the, the topic for tonight, um, that we're going to try and bring out of uh, the book of Job and the life and experience of Job is knowing the transcendent God. And of course, I'm going to try and explain what that means uh, as the message goes on. Knowing the transcendent God. So, Job chapter 38 I've never been able to get into the way, by the way, of, uh, of pronouncing Job. Um, uh, for me, it's always, uh, it's always Job. So pardon me if you're used to something else. So Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who's this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? And what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place when I said this far you may come and no further here is where your proud waves halt. 
down to verse 16. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Verse 31. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Over to chapter 42 and verse 1. Then Job replied to the Lord. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Amen. May God's word touch our hearts. Here is Job. And he's caught in this uh, terrible storm of, of tragedy. And on top of that, there are the suspicions and the accusations of his so-called friends just bombarding him. We think there's something questionable about Job. That's why all this has uh, befallen him. And throughout the course of the book, the debates, the conversation, the discussion goes round and round between Job and his three comforters. Job tries to defend himself. And in addition to that, he wrestles with the question of why God would allow all of this to happen to him. And he wrestles with the question of what all of this means as far as the character of God is concerned. And he has so many questions that he gives vent to in the course of this book. But finally, at the end, where we took up our reading actually, in chapter 38, after everything has been said by these men, God steps in. And he comes out of his storm cloud. Out of the, the storm of the cloud of glory. God reveals himself. And he addresses Job. And he reveals himself, you're going to use the word for tonight, in his transcendence. In his transcendence. 
He, he transcends Job. He's, he's higher. He's above Job and the circumstances. And the wisdom that he's now going to demonstrate and the understanding that he's going to present are going to be seen as on a different level altogether than what the men have actually been discussing. There's, there's a different plane. There, there is another dimension altogether. And, and that is where God lives. And that is what God inhabits on a different plane above everything that has been created. Above everything that is formed. Above all matter. Everything that exists. God transcends all of that. He's above and beyond and higher than all of that. And that means this. That as far as our understanding of anything is concerned... He transcends that because he has got total knowledge. As far as time and perspective is concerned, he transcends that, he's beyond that, and he is in another dimension. Job has no idea, and he never will have any idea, of the backdrop to his experience. The conversation that had been had in heaven with Satan. I mean, God is aware of all of that. That is something just at this stage foreign to Job. And yet there is a higher perspective that transcends his experience. And that is where God is. And God is aware of all of that. And so at this point, when God reveals himself in his transcendence, Job is reduced. To silence. Silence. Now if you go into chapter 38 there and look down there. You know God starts off by asking a question. Who is this that obscures my plans and so forth. If you were to count down over the next few chapters. You would find that there's just about 80. 80 questions that God asks of Job. And there are only two answers, an either or, to every single one of them. Because Job is asked by God, do you know? Do you know? And to everyone, he has to say, either I don't know, or he has to say no. And, and the point is, that Job again is brought, as he says, um, at the reading in chapter 42, you know, I've heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. And when I listen to all of these things that reveal your transcendence and the knowledge that you have, I have, I have to silence myself. I have to humble myself and repent with dust and ashes. And so, for instance, here's a question, 38.4, where, where were you, Job? Where were you? Were you around when the foundations of the earth were laid? Did you see how all of that worked out? What was involved in that? 
Do you have insight into that kind of thing? Of course I don't. I don't know anything, he says, about that. He changes to a different kind of perspective. Verse 17. What about death? Have you seen the gates of death? Has that been revealed to you? The gates of the deepest? Do you know anything about that kind of experience? And what is involved? Do you have that kind of insight? Job has to say, I don't. God knows that. God was there at the foundation. God knows about life and about death. Then he looks at the firmaments, the constellations, verse 31. He talks about them by name, Pleiades, Orion, the bear. Do you know the laws of the heavens? God set all these things in place. You have any awareness of all of that job? He has to say, I don't know anything about that. And what is happening here? is that he's getting an awareness of how transcendent God is. And and what it is doing for him is it's giving him, in his life, in his circumstances, it is giving him perspective, proper perspective. You see, what we find And this is an application for all of us here. And it's an enormously important practical point. That if we at all can gain eternal perspective on the circumstances of our life, then not only are we taken up with the greatness of God and His purposes and His wisdom and His capabilities and his eternal qualities, but it also gives us hope, and it gives us confidence, and it strengthens our faith in him. Yes, it gives us a conception of his greatness, and it should bring us to our knees, as some of these great hymns have expressed that we've sung tonight, when we think about him. And it should humble us as it humbled Job, But it also gives us the perspective that we can trust him in his goodness and in his greatness. So what does this word really mean if we were to try and define it? Transcendent. You know, sometimes we use that in everyday life. I always associate it actually with Muhammad Ali for some reason. You know, Muhammad Ali, they always say, transcended boxing you know Ali's life was not just about boxing he was bigger than that he was above that there were other things that he was about he transcended his sport we we use that terminology don't we and so it is that God transcends his universe The vastness of it, as is described in chapter 38. All the various dimensions of this universe that are mind-boggling to us. And yet God is bigger. And he's above. And he's distinct. And he's higher. And none of the laws of nature restrict him. Neither do they confine him. He's infinite. 
and he is unlimited and he is invisible and he is pure spirit John 4 God is spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and and in truth so as I said before as far as time is concerned he's he's beyond that in a different dimension in a different trajectory that, that time does not restrict him in he's eternal as far as place and geography is concerned he's not restricted by that he, he is everywhere and he's everywhere at the same time he's distinct and he's above it all and it's no wonder that the great apostle Paul bursts out in that tremendous doxology that Alex read to us earlier on at the end of, chapter, of Romans chapter 11 when he talks about there the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Now I want you to to notice this part from verse 36 of Romans 11. When you think about the transcendence of God. It says, For from him and through him and for him are all things. Now just think about that. Now what that's really saying from him, he is the source of everything. Through him, he is the agency and the vehicle of everything. And for him, he is the goal and the objective of everything that has been formed. Such is the transcendence of God. And again, as Alex read into chapter 12, what does that truth mean to us? Therefore, in view of God's mercies, you know, we have to offer ourselves, our bodies, as living sacrifices to this great God and Savior who we come to know. Now, I'm going to now move to a second point here. We've been talking about the transcendent God. There is an allied truth to this. And the truth is this, that God is not only transcendent. There's another word that I'll try and explain. He is also, and here it is, he is imminent. He is imminent as well. Now, now what that means is this. We talk about God's greatness, but that doesn't mean because he is higher and transcendent that he is isolated and that he is far away and that he is disinterested in his creation. Paul gra- grasps this in Mars Hill, you know, in the great sermon you know, to the, about the unknown God that he delivers to the Athenians a couple of points he makes he says about God's transcendence he says you know God does not dwell in temples that are made by hands that's his transcendence you know God is far greater than you guys think he is 
But then he says, God is nearer, far nearer than you think he is. He goes on to talk about how, you know, he has established, you know, the bounds of our habitation. He has established where we should live, the times in which we should live, the geography and the history of all our lives. Because he's not far from any one of us. In him we live and we move and we have our being. He is imminent. He has come close to us. There's a couple of great passages uh, that uh, make this point. If you want to just flick over to Hebrews chapter 1, because I know that uh, the home groups were looking at this, just to point out one, one part here. Uh, in verse number 3 of Hebrews 1, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Here it is. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's his imminence. God sustains everything. He hasn't just set up this universe of ours wound it up like a clock and just left it to run by itself. No, no. God is actively involved in every aspect of our world and of our lives at every level. You know, he sustains it. He actively sustains it. There's, an, there's a comparison um, phrase in Colossians chapter 1, again about Christ, uh, and it says about him, that in him everything consists. Everything holds together. You know, the physiology of our makeup, of our bodies. He's actively involved in that. The stars that we talked about, they require his active involvement and intervention or everything would just fall apart. Everything, the smallest atom, and the way it all functions, the, the micro, uh, microscopic level of things. He's involved in every single part of every single cell. And he actively keeps it going as far as its function is concerned. You know, our very breath is in his hand. If he withdrew that active involvement, everything would collapse. God is far, but God is near. He is transcendent, but he is also imminent and that intervention and involvement and nearness of God in his creation of course is seen in its fullest extent when God himself becomes a human being in the person of his son our Lord Jesus Christ and perhaps the greatest point well not perhaps the greatest point of that is seen when he lays down his life for fallen humanity. That is the nearness when he takes the sin and the sorrow and he makes it his very own. Now look at how Job wrestles with the imminence aspect of God. I'm going to get you to turn now in the book of Job back to chapter 9. And um, 
look towards the end of that chapter that we, we read earlier on. You know, you, you, you in a sense the, almost the despair in, in, in Job here. When you, when you come down to verse 32, he's thinking about the greatness of God. And, and, and he, he has to come to this conclusion at this stage. He says, you know, he's not a mere mortal like me that I can answer him. That we might confront each other in court. He, he puts out this, this anguish cry, if only, he says, if, if only there was someone to mediate between us. Somebody who could, who could bring us together. Somebody who could place his hand in both of our hands and bring us together. Oh, that there was a mediator. Down through the centuries, that cry of Job, it goes unanswered. 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 Until the coming of Christ. And the answer to Job's question is seen in him. Let me quote that tremendous passage to you in 1st Timothy which says this chapter 2 verse 5 there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for the many that's That's the person who puts his hand in both and brings them together. That is the very definition and the very essence of the great mediator who can can touch both. And this is the great doctrine of the humanity, the total, complete and perfect humanity of Christ. A real man, albeit a sinless man. And at the same time, the absolute and the total divinity of Christ. Absolute and total God. Great is the mystery of godliness. That God was manifest in the flesh. Now none of us, nobody on the face of the earth can explain in technical terms how these things can possibly be. In fact, that's what Mary said. How can these things be? Nobody knows the technicalities of that. But Scripture is clear. Totally man. And totally God. Although he was in very essence God, he humbled himself. Took the form of a servant. And was found in fashion as a man. And at Calvary, that great mediation took place that Job cried out for. And we have a mediator. Now there's a phrase that stuck with me over the years. I found it quite helpful actually. And I'm going to pass it on to you. You know, if if Christ's humanity is not a real humanity, It's like having a bridge that's broken 
at the nearer end. If Christ's deity is not true, it's like having a bridge that is broken at the further end. We need his complete and perfect humanity and his total deity to be the true mediator between God and man that brings us both together. Now just as we close, because of this, his transcendence and his imminence, praise God, there is the tremendous reality that we can know. We can know the transcendent God. We can know him. And of course there's that tremendous passage, I'm going to get you to turn to it in chapter 19 of Job and read it with me, that really just brings this out totally. Job complains in chapter 19, verse 23, and he says, Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead, or engraved in rock forever. I know. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that, in the end, He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I am not another. The faith and confidence that Job has now at this stage is this. I know. I know something about God. But this is beyond the information to the personal knowledge of God. That's what we, we need all to aspire to. As we look into this week before us, the knowledge of God in his transcendency. But to be able to say that I know that, that my Redeemer lives. That he's mine. That he's come into my life and invaded, if you like, all that I was. I could never have known him by myself. All that the Father has given me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. We are his own. His sovereignty and salvation has has broken into our lives, he's placed his hand upon us, and he's arrested our mad descent to hell. Such is the grace of God. And he says, you're mine. And he is ours. And we should be able to, today, in that knowledge, to, to look as Job did. And say, I know that he lives. And that I will see him one day, and that even although my skin is destroyed, my, in my flesh I will see God 
And I'll see him for myself. It will be my personal experience because he is my redeemer. He saved me. He shed his blood for me. He set me free. He's my mediator. We're all there tonight. Our experience with the job, our knowledge of God deep in the depths of our hearts to know our Redeemer and the hope that He brings. The transcendent God, the imminent God that we can know. I mean, that's the whole point of this series. To describe the greatness of God And by doing that, to help us to know ourselves and what we should be. The great prayer of Christ again. Father, this is life eternal. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The challenge that comes to all of us. Now shall we pray and then we'll sing our final hymn. Lord, how grateful we are for your grace that comes down to where we are, for the coming of Christ, for his love to approach us, to take our humanity and to take our sin all the way to the cross of Calvary. We just worship you for being that great mediator that brings us to God. We ask that the things we've thought about, about your greatness, and about how you've come to change our lives, will again be a stimulation to us to offer ourselves in service to you. Bless your people. May your word be special and a treasure to our hearts, as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.